Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be It Works, How and Why Studying Commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, It Works, How and Why. Alright folks, this is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there are going to be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the text toward reaching those seeking a resource like this. We know if one person benefits from our efforts, we collectively believe, even including us, then our participation was well worth the effort. We're going to start off with our introduction, and then we're going to jump into the text. Get a pen, a highlighter, and get ready to go. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode one for the It Works How and Why study for the Anonymous podcast. We're super, super excited to to get the band back together and some new additions to the band. And we're going to give our introductions. And folks, so so uh, let's turn to page one. We're going to begin with the introduction. Um, and uh, and now let's jump in. Lisa H., introduce yourself. Leading the crew tonight. Hey, I'm Lisa H. I'm an addict. My clean date is February 25th, 2012. I attend meetings in the Central Western PA area, and my home group is Monday Night Miracles in Meadville. Thanks, Lisa. What's up, Paul? Hey, I'm Paul M. I'm an addict. I uh, attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana, and my home group is Open Mind on Monday nights at 7.30. Come see us. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Barb? Hey, Douglas. I'm Barb R. I live in the Panhandle of Florida. My clean date is 10 and my home group is Open Mind. Thanks, Barb. What's happening, Jane A? Hey, everybody. Jane A here from Salem, Oregon. Clean date 12 79 and my home group is the Noon Basic Study Group. Thanks, Jane. What's up, Eva? Hey, everybody. Eva P. My clean date is June 10th, 2000. I do meetings in the Mid-Willamette Valley area, and my home group is the Do It Heart meeting. <laughs> Thanks, Eva. What's up, Eric? Hey, I'm an addict. My name's Eric. My clean date is September 16, 2019, and I attend meetings in the Sun Coast area, Sprinton and Sarasota in Florida. Thanks, Eric. What's up, Andrew? Howdy, folks. My name is Andrew G. Uh, my clean date is May 16, 2008. I attend meetings in the North Atlanta area, and my home group is no matter what. Thanks, Andrew. What's happening, Lee? Hey, Douglas Lee P., addict. Uh, Clean date, 8-27-87. My home group is open my Monday nights in New Orleans. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Jennifer? Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992. I attend meetings in Sacramento, California, and my home group is The Journey Within. Thanks, Jennifer. Christine, what's happening? Hey there, I'm Christine O. My clean date is March 31st, 1994, and I attend meetings in the Virginia Beach and Tidewater area in Virginia. All right, well, welcome everyone. And I'm Attic, name's Douglas. I go clean March 12, 2000 in Southwestern PA, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, here we go. Episode one, It Works How and Why, study for the anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page one with the introduction. Andrew, would you be willing to read the first two paragraphs, share, and then we're going to kick it off? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. All right. Welcome 
The book you have in your hands is a discussion of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Narcotics Anonymous. We realize that whether written or verbal, no discussion of something as personal and individual as recovery can be all things to all people. This book is not meant to be an exhaustive study of NA's steps or traditions, nor is it meant to be the final word on any aspect of recovery or NA unity. Rather, it is meant to help you determine your own interpretation of the principles contained in our steps and traditions. We hope you will find personal growth, understanding, and empathy in the following pages. We pray you will be moved to a new level of insight into your recovery and the valuable place you occupy as a member of Narcotics Anonymous. Each member of NA has contributed to this book in some way. Whether you're new to recovery or one of our longtime members, your experience, your support, and above all, your presence in the rooms where addicts meet to share recovery have been the motivating forces behind the production of this book. Though the process of writing a book about the experience of a fellowship as diverse as ours has been lengthy, we saw all the barriers and stumbling blocks fade away in the light of our primary purpose, to carry the message to the still-suffering addict. That one purpose, clear and powerful, stands alone in our collective consciousness as the only thing that really matters. With that, all is possible and miracles happen. Um, you know, I think the thing that stands out to me, and it's like one of my favorite things about Narcotics Anonymous, especially like coming into a new group, right, as I am tonight, um, we pray you'll be moved to a new level of insight into your recovery. And I occupy a valuable place as a member of Narcotics Anonymous, right, about just like, man, you are right where you're supposed to be and you belong, you know, um, and for so long while I was getting high, like, that's what I wanted to feel, right? I wanted to feel like, Andrew, you fit in and you belong here. And like, I experienced it as a newcomer when people, you know, were understanding and they were generous. Um, and I experienced it today, right? Like when I go to a new place and I say I'm an addict and like, maybe I look like a little scared or a little lost and somebody just gives me a fucking hug and says, welcome. Like you are right here. You're right where you need to be, you know? Um, so I love that. I'm super stoked for this journey, y'all. Hey, thanks for those comments, Andrew. Anybody else want to jump in? Folks, I want to point out this too. Um, yeah, Andrew, I, I had that highlighted in in underlined as well, though that piece. A few a few lines above that, when it talks about, hey, look, this discussion isn't going to be all things to everybody. It's not going it, to. This may not may not look at it as almost like this the authoritative piece to it, um, but uh, it should help us kind of interpret what it means to what it means to us. And I like that, man, because I look at the basic text as almost like. Well, it's a it's a text. It's the volume. It's the authoritative source in this piece. And this expands upon um, how to navigate through the steps and the traditions. And so that, that was my takeaway with that. I want to bring Christine in and I'm going to follow up with with Lee. Christine, what's happening? OK, to me, I mean, it's like right out of the gate. It starts with some really strong language when I first got clean and still to now, like defining words and the the language that I speak to myself as as well as what I read in the text is just very important and and here it says um it is meant to help you determine your own interpretation of the principles contained in our steps and traditions we hope you will find personal growth understanding and empathy um your own interpretation. You know, when I was new, we did it all the same way. 
kind of. And as I've stayed in the more work I've done, it has become a lot more personal and to have my own interpretation and meaning um, of what it says in the literature. For the longest time, people would beat us to death with the literature in the early days because they would beat us to death with everything, but it worked. You know, I'm still here. Um, and the something as personal and individual as recovery. It is, it amazes me how we all do the same things, but we do it all in a very unique and different way. Because if we all said the same things and did it exactly the same way, it would be a freaking boring place to be. And I wouldn't have been here as long as I have been. So um, that, and another thing that stuck out to me was um, in the second par paragraph, all the barriers and stumbling blocks fade away in the light of our primary purpose to carry the message to the still suffering addict. It doesn't say to carry the message to the newcomer. The newcomer is the most important person in the room, but I know I was that long timer that was the still suffering addict in the room. I was the one that needed the message. And um, so I think that's real important to, to point out that it's not always the newcomer that's the one suffering in the room. A lot of times it's the, it's the long timer who is intimidated to open their mouth because we should be better by now. So that's all I got, thanks. Thanks for those comments, Christine. What's up, Lee? Hey, thanks, Doug. I'm gonna jump right into that second paragraph too because it was a lengthy process. Um, I got dragged into literature early on when I got here and people kept drilling into my head how many people, and it says that each member of NA has contributed to this book in some way. We approved this book at the World Service Conference in 1992 in Dallas, Texas, and it was epic. It was groundbreaking to have this information uh, in as much detail as, as, as it was presented then. And, and you know, we have it so, so, it's so different now. Back then we used to do everything. We would write, hand write letters and snail, snail mail them back and forth to, not, to NA World Services. And they would say, okay, well, this sounds good. And we may use this, or we may take a paragraph from that. And, and Paul's laughing because he walked in a couple of those and then he turned around and he walked right back out because it was arduous, man. And people would, I mean, people would like almost throw down about a word and, and the placement of a word. And so I have, I have a, a great deal of respect for this book. And uh, this one and our Just for Today both were approved in, in, in that conference in 1992. It was a labor of love and, and, Christine just read it, I'm gonna repeat it. All of those stumbling blocks faded away in the light of our primary purpose, which is to carry the message to the still suffering addict. That's under three minutes, Doug. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Eric? Yeah, I'm probably gonna share what's already been shared, but um, I really like that part where it says it's not meant to be the final word on any aspect of recovery or any unity. Um, you know, cause how could there be? In an ongoing process, how could there be a final word? You know, like it's a progressive um, journey. I love that. And to help you determine your own interpretation of the principles, um, you know, through other people's experience, I can um, 
you know, determine what I believe. And that could be subject to revision, too. I think that says that somewhere. I'm probably going to butcher the literature. Um, you know, everything we know is subject to revision, especially what we think we know about the truth, man. Like, that just keeps me in the process. And then, of course, what was already shared about the, all the barriers and stumbling blocks fade away in the light of our primary purpose to carry the message to the still-suffering addict. That one purpose, clear and powerful, stands alone in our collective consciousness. It's the only thing that really matters. You know, I can come back to that time and time again whenever I'm feeling judgment or, um, you know, having trouble listening to somebody share and thinking they're doing it wrong or sharing the wrong message, man. Like, there's somebody for everybody in NA, man. Thank God for our diversity. Thanks for those comments here. It's, it's taken me a really long time to get there, man. Even I'll I'll still jump back into seasons where, man, I wish, why, why the fuck are they sharing what they're sharing? Who can benefit from that? And it's always someone saying, damn, that was a fucking good share. And I don't know. We, we was listening to two different people. Anyway, I digress. Paul, can you read the last two of the intro, please? Absolutely. The nature of the recovery process gave us the title for this book. After all was said and done, one fundamental truth emerged at the crux of our program. It works. The reason our program works, the how and why of recovery are found in many places, in each other, in our relationship with a higher power, in our hearts and minds, and finally, in the collective wisdom of our members. Because our principal endeavor in the development of this book was has been to capture that collective wisdom in written form. We believe the title of this book is the most appropriate. It works, how and why. We pray that this book truly represents the therapeutic value of one addict helping another. We offer this book as a gift, addict to addict, and hope our love and concern for every addict who is trying our way of life comes across as strongly as we feel it. Please use and enjoy this book. Share it with your friends, your sponsor, and the people you sponsor. After all, it is through sharing with each other that we find our own answers, our own higher power, and our own path of recovery. And I think that's that's the key. It's I can't do this alone. I can't. I have to share this with you to find my truth. And you can't. You can't really give it to me. I have to kind of glean it for myself. But you can. You can be there with me on this journey. And just like we're all, we're all been kind of excited leading up to this because we're going to see our friends. We get to play with our friends. We get to come on Tuesday nights and we get to see the, the, the people that we love. And we're on this journey together. And the, the longer I stay clean, the more I understand that I am not able to do this alone. And that is perplexing to me when I got here. I was like, I... I shot dope alone. I can certainly learn how to get clean alone. I don't need all y'all. And um, it, it's just never worked like that for me. It's never worked to be able to do this alone. And it's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable to me. Um, I want to figure this out and then come to you for you to, you know, to share it with you. I don't want to, I don't want you to help me find it. And it's just never worked. And I, I just love the the last two. And it works how and why. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty bold statement. It works how and why. I um in 1993 when this book came out, that's when it was copyrighted after the 92 convention. Uh, you know, I, it was well. This is just our answer to the 12 and 12 by AA. That's all it is. And um, you know, I think there's some truth to that, but it was so much more. 
And, you know, I think sometimes, especially back then, we felt like stepchildren and we had to, you know, we we couldn't, <laughs> we had to compare everything and then break down the other one or, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I, I think as a fellowship, we've moved away from that, thank God. Um, but I, I, this piece of literature, I'm excited. I, I, I was glad we got the living clean done. That's probably my next to the basic text is my favorite piece of literature, but I'm really excited to start this journey with all of y'all and all of you listening too, as well. So that's enough for me. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Paul. Anybody else want to comment on those two? All right, Lisa, could you, the one paragraph right under book one, the 12 steps on that next page, could you read that share? And then we're going to jump into step one. Absolutely. Uh, book one, the 12 steps. The purpose of this portion of the book is to invite members to engage in a journey of recovery and to serve as a resource in gaining a personal understanding of the spiritual principles in the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous. This portion of the book explores the spiritual principles in each step and how we experience them in our lives. We believe that the steps are presented in a manner that encompasses the diversity of our fellowship and is reflective of the spiritual awakening described in our 12th step. Um, so... I, I could honestly echo everything that's been shared. I'm really excited to be back. Um, but that last line, man, just kind of hits um, for me because, you know, it talks about this like spiritual awakening described in our 12th step. But like in my experience, like I, I feel like they're setting us up, right? To say like, take what works for you and leave the rest. Um, because for me, like developing a personal understanding of working like the steps and traditions, um, Every every step in every tradition for me has been some kind of spiritual awakening on its own. Um, you know, when I first came to Narcotics Anonymous, I had a lot of problems with spirituality. Um, I just shared this actually at my home group last night. We were talking about a passage in the living clean on spirituality. But when I came to NA, um, I had like massive abandonment issues, right? I grew up with parents who were very absent in the long and short. And um, my dad's side of the family was religious and he was like super abusive, right? So I was like, I can't trust father on earth who I can see and touch who abandons me on the regular physically and emotionally. How the fuck am I supposed to trust invisible sky daddy, right? Like this God concept, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, and for me, like I I'm the kind of person who needs evidence. I need to see things. Right. Um, because like coming back to that abandonment thing, like people told me stuff and then did the opposite, you know, they promised me things and then took them away. Um, so I needed to see spirituality at work. I needed to see the program at work. And that's been like the spiritual awakening for me. Like I thought it was going to be like this, like Lion King moment, right? I share about this too. I, I expected this like big out of the clouds, giant aha lightning bolt moment, you know, where like Mufasa comes down and he's like, remember who you are. Right. And that didn't really happen for me, but like that process did come through like four, five, six, and seven. Um, so like my understanding of like the 12 steps is that each one has been its own spiritual awakening. Um, and even the traditions, cause like the steps help me from killing myself, right. They keep me from killing myself. The traditions help keep me from killing the rest of you. Um, so I'm really stoked to jump into this. Thanks. All right. Thanks for that, Lisa. Eva, can we go to page five? Can you read the first two paragraphs on page five? Step one. Here we go, folks. Hi, everybody. Hey, Eva. Uh, step one, we had admitted that we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. As addicts, 
we have each experienced the pain, loneliness, and despair of addiction. Before coming to NAI, many of us tried everything we could think of to control our use of drugs. We tried switching drugs, thinking that we only had a problem with one particular drug. We tried limiting our drug use to certain times or places. Many of we may have even vowed to stop using altogether at a certain point. We may have told ourselves we would never do anything, do the things we watched other addicts do, then found ourselves doing those very things. Nothing we had tried ha had any lasting effect. Our active addiction continued to progress, overpowering even our best intentions. Alone, terrified of what the future held for us, we found the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous. As members of Narcotics Anonymous, our experience is that addiction is a progressive disease. The progression may be a rapid or maybe rapid or slow, but it is always downhill. As long as we are using drugs, our lives will steadily get worse. It would be impossible to precisely <clears throat> describe addiction in a way that is agreeable to everyone. However, the disease seems to affect us in a following general in the following general ways. Mentally, we become obsessed in thoughts of using. Physically, we would develop a compulsion to continue using, regardless of the consequences. Spiritually, we become totally self-centered in the course of our addiction. Looking at addiction as a disease makes sense to a lot of addicts because in our experience, addiction is progressive, incurable, and can be fatal unless arrested. Woo-wee! So um, this is, uh, this just brings up a lot of stuff, you know, and I was working with somebody on a first step last night and um some of my girls and I are starting a little step study out of this book right now that we're doing this. And um, we were reading out of it. And um, whew, I wish I could say that I don't do these things now. I wish I could say that I don't have these um, progressive, um, steadily getting worse, um, thoughts, uh, obsessive thoughts of using things like money <laughs> to feel better, food. So I'm on this eating plan and I do so good for like a week, two weeks, sometimes a month. And then I'll have this day where I'll just eat one thing, one thing. And then I'll be like, fuck it. I ate that one thing. So now I'm like, I have to eat everything bad I can in that one day because tomorrow I'm going to start that thing again. So I'm just like, and, and I have this surgery, so my stomach's really small. So I'll eat till I throw up, you guys. I will eat till I throw up multiple times in that day. Now, if that's not um, an obsessive, compulsive, incurable, fatal thing, like, it might not be fatal, but it is so sick. Like, I'm like, eat, 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 throw up, throw up, throw up, throw up. Eat, 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 throw up, throw up, throw up, throw up. And then I'm like in my room crying because I'm so fucking mad at myself. 
And then I'm like calling my sponsor going, check it out. This is what I did. And she's like, so what are you going to do different? And I'm like, so uh, tomorrow I'm going to do da 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 And I do those things for about a month. And then I like eat one bite of ice cream. One bite of ice cream will fucking throw me in this spiral. One bite. So imagine if that was one drink. And I was talking to this girl last night. And she says to me, I don't know. She looks at me right in my eyes and she says, I don't know if I left my husband. If I don't, if I, I think it's him. I think if I left him, I could drink. After telling me that when she drank last time, she fell, cracked her head open, beat the shit out of him, had shit, like almost lost her kids. You know what I mean? But if she left him, she could have one drink. And I was like, I think we need to write some more. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think we need to read again these things. So, um, so I shared my story about that one bite of ice cream. And I thought, is that how you feel after one drink of alcohol? And she's like, I think we need to think about this again. So, um, yeah, that's all I have. Thank you. Thanks for those comments, Eva. Anybody else want to jump in? All right, here we go. Lisa, I'm going to come to you here in a second. I wanted to point out this, Eva, with your comments that you were making, you know, that the 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 first sentence is, is really clear. And I and I appreciate how it doesn't put in the context of it says, hey, before we got clean, it's like, look, man, like when we experience that, we can still like active addiction, the manifestation of addiction and whatever symptom, you know, is most apparent, it still brings us pain, loneliness, and despair. I mean, that's why I still work a program to this day. It's not like a one and done type of deal, you know, and that's what I'm reminded of when, you know, when you talk about that, and I'm really excited to unpack the rest of step one. And when I boil it down, man, step one is examination of the evidence. That's what it is, man. I'm going to be able to see my powerlessness as a result of that, my unmanageability. And then I can start to see where those pieces line up. What's up, Lisa? That was a nice layup you just gave me, Doug, because like, I think that touches back on what I was saying about, I need evidence, right? Um, like that first paragraph, we tried switching drugs, thinking that we only had a problem with one particular drug. Like, bro, my drug of choice was more like, I want what I want and I want it yesterday and fuck you if you're in my way, right? Like the only thing I ever used in moderation and active addiction was the truth. And like, when I get into step one, it shows me the evidence, right? It looks at like, what evidence do you have that you can still use successfully? Um, and I think even just the fact that I made it to Narcotics Anonymous means like I suck at using drugs, right? Um, so that was like evidence for me, but also like, you know, I like this part where it says we may have told ourselves we would never do the things we watched other addicts do and then found ourselves doing those very things. Because for me, that relates not only to what I like those lines in the sand, right. In active addiction that I said, I'd never cross, right. I'd never do this behavior. I'd never use a needle. I would never do this. And every time I did those things, that line in the sand got further and further back. Right. 
But also like when I first came into recovery, I saw other addicts in the fellowship doing things I thought I would never do, right? Like staying clean and becoming responsible, productive members of society, having jobs, having families, paying their bills. That's stuff that like I learned how to do here. Um, you know, so like in addition to like working this step, also like seeing it working and having a lasting effect, which for me was something I never saw in active addiction, right? Um, you know, that was the evidence that I needed to kind of stick and stay here, man. Like this step opens the door for me. So thanks. Thanks, Lisa. What's up, Christine? Um, I love how it opens like the first line pain, loneliness, and despair of addiction. We all experience that. So I have, that was how I connected because when I arrived, I still had some stuff that other people didn't have. Um, and for the longest time, I thought if I was an, an addict was a junkie under a bridge, like that was my vision until I um, realized that I was one as well. And, um, but that common bond is the feelings are what is the same, not necessarily the details or the chemicals. Um, and listening to Eva, I mean, I'm in the process of working another step one right now with my sponsor and it has been revealed that it's all about the food. It's all about the sugar. And um, the disease comes at me and it has many different masks and different faces. And I have learned through the years how to recognize it when it comes, but I still find myself in positions of using against my will, even when I know it's not working and it's self-defeating. And um, that is why for me, I continue to work the steps, but I love the fact that we're never alone. And um, that I know that our feelings are what join us together, regardless of what drugs you did or where you're from or how old you are. It's um, that feeling of desperation and hope. So that's what I got. Thanks for those comments, Christine. What's happening, Jane? Hey, everybody. I just, uh, this one sentence here or two sentences here was one of the most profound things I ever read in this book in the beginning. And I know that I hear it often repeatedly in the institutions that I have the pleasure and privilege of going volunteering in. We tried switching drugs. We tried limiting and we vowed to stop. And uh, I hear it over and over again. I only have trouble with heroin, you know, uh, and I did it too. I used the alcohol to control the drugs and the drugs to control the alcohol. And only in the end when I could control neither was I willing to get past that denial, which they'll talk about later on in this uh, next couple of pages. But I, I hear it over and over again, and it's just the hardest part of the denial and the obsession is any drug in any form uh, will get you here sooner or later. Thanks. Hey, Jane, thank, thanks for those comments. Jennifer, I'm going to come to you to read the next two. Before I do, though, I want to, Jane, I was thinking when you were saying that, um, what is it, two senses down in that second paragraph, the progression may be rapid or slow, but it's always downhill. I think in context now, man, I don't know about like the slow piece. Like I don't see, I don't, I don't see like that progression downhill, uh, that slow label applying anymore. I really don't like the people that I'm working with who are getting clean now. And, and it, the, the progression wasn't slow for me anyways then, 
but it, you know currently now it's fucking it's just all rapid you know just it yeah and i'll say I'll, I'll save a couple lines that i wanted to kick out for food sex and money and step one in, in, until we get to the right paragraphs but we're gonna jump in it, you folks i'm looking here you guys got some steps to work you fucking do man just... <laughs> barb go ahead then jen i'm gonna bring you in to read the next two what's up barb hey douglas let me lower my hand um I like, uh, for me, a lot of this, I tried the switching drugs, but I, I used to live and live to use, period. I didn't say I was going to quit. I didn't try to quit. Never occurred to me to quit. When I was 14, I drank 100 Piper Scotch, had a blackout. You know, that's the kind of addict I was. And I took the elevator down pretty low. But I like this mentally, we became obsessed with thoughts of using. Physically, we develop a compulsion to continue using. Regardless of the consequences and spiritually, we become totally self-centered in the course of our addiction. And that's what my sponsor always drills into my head. It's a threefold disease. And I see this with, with the nuts. You guys are talking about food, with the food. When I introduce the sugar, then I'm out of that place of neutrality and I'm off and running just like the drug. And it's more, more, more. And I start off the mental and the physical and what I'm doing, and, and I tell myself as I'm doing it, is I'm, I'm, I came in with that hole in my soul, and I'm trying to fill that void, you know? And I still, instead of doing the work, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want something outside me to fill that hole. And it never works. It never works. It's only through the steps and um, through this program that I can fill that, that hole with HP, you know? So that's it for me. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Barb. Jennifer. Can you read the next two, starting with in Narcotics Anonymous, we do? Sure can. <clears throat> in Narcotics Anonymous, we deal with every aspect of our addiction, not just its most obvious symptom, our uncontrollable drug use. The aspects of our disease are numerous. By practicing this program, we each discover the ways in which our addiction affects us personally. Regardless of the individual effects of addiction on our lives, all of us share some common characteristics. Through working the first step, we will address the obsession, the compulsion, the denial, and what many have termed a spiritual void. As we examine and acknowledge all these aspects of our disease, we start to understand our powerlessness. Many of us have had problems with the idea that as addicts, we are obsessive and compulsive. The idea that these words applied to us may have made us cringe. However, obsession and compulsion are aspects of our powerlessness. We need to understand and acknowledge their presence in our lives if our admission of powerlessness is to be complete. Obsession for us is the never-ending stream of thoughts relating to using drugs, running out of drugs, getting more drugs, and so on. We simply can't get these thoughts out of our minds. In our experience, compulsion is the irrational impulse to continue using drugs no matter what happens as a result. We just can't stop. We address the obsession and compulsion here as they relate to our drug use because when we first come into the program, our drug addiction is how we identify with each other and the program. As we continue in our recovery, we will see how these aspects of our addiction can manifest themselves in many areas of our lives. Boy, if this doesn't speak some truth all the way through. Um, you know, Douglas, you framed it a little bit, you know, like, you know, step one, what that looks about. And, and, and that my simplified process is, you know, step one, like, what's the problem? Like, yes, when I came to Narcotics Anonymous, drugs were my problem. And then I was gently 
So maybe sometimes not so gently reminded that I was the problem, you know, but I didn't actually believe that in the beginning. And I knew, and I was like Barb, right? Like I knew, and, and Jane talked about it. Like I knew how I could do this cocktail of, you know, I, I, I was a, I've been a blackout drinker since the moment I put alcohol to my lips. It's never once gone good for me. And so I found other substances to counteract that, but then I would be awake for seven days. So then, you know what I mean? And it was just this whole cycle. And, 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 and often my disease puts me in that same cycle in recovery. Um, and sometimes I run around in circles and chase my tail, you know, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, I catch it, but this, this idea, um, the aspects of our disease are numerous, right? Like I'm the problem. Drugs were the symptom of my problem. You remove the drugs from, from my, you know, from me, or I made a choice to remove drugs. Then what am I stuck with? The fucking problem, you know? Um, and that's what this book is. That's what the 12 steps that are for, you know, is to deal with me. And, 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 you know, I had a spiritual void that I didn't even know existed. There were a lot of things in this book that it, when I first got clean, like I knew how to go to meetings and I knew how to not put in and, and my motives for going to meetings weren't really always in the right place. And, and, and in the beginning, my reasons for not using were not pure because I thought I had a problem and I was going to stay clean for 30 years. You know, that's just not my story. And, and, um, this obsessive and compulsive idea that we all suffer from, um, and I didn't know what was termed that, but when people would talk about it, I'd be like, oh, I know how that feels, um, really had, um, had really taken my life to a level that I, you know, when I look at it now, you know, we talk about, um, you know, degradation and, you know, all those things that happen to us that we do, where we draw that line in the sand and we push backwards, like Lisa was saying, like, that was me. And, um, Step one has really been, okay, what's the problem? Let's address the problem. And, and in recovery, learning about the principles, as it talks about in this book that we're going to learn, you know, once I could figure out, you know, and get past, okay, I've stopped using drugs and now what, right? Um, all of this starts to come in, like, how do I address these problems, you know? And, and, and when it comes to things like food, sex, money, you know, and I like to say, it's kind of been my term lately, like controls my favorite drug, right? If I can be involved in your business and what's going on and manage you, I don't have to deal with me. And, um, and that, that um, has been a whole nother set of work that I've had to do here. But um, you know, these two paragraphs really talk about, you know, uh, how we address, address the obsession and compulsion and when we do, and, and, and when we first come to the program, what do we do? Um, and, and, but the one thing I really love about this book is that it goes further and, you know, we'll talk about it more, but, you know, pushes into how do we treat our disease? How do we treat our addiction once we stop using drugs? And, um, and I'm looking forward to the rest of it. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Jennifer. My question is on the, about two thirds of the way down on page six, Many of us have had problems with the idea that as addicts, we are obsessive and compulsive. In my margins, I put a big question mark. Who the fuck questions that? Did any of you? That might, they may have put this in the wrong book. I'm not sure if, Paul, what's going on? God, I'm having trouble. Um, I, <laughs> I don't, I, I, listen, everything's obsessive and compulsive. My comment on this, this, this 
first paragraph is we deal with every aspect of our addiction, not just the most obvious symptom, our uncontrollable drug use. Big shout out to our predecessors who decided not to put drugs in the first step. Big, big fucking shout out. And I don't think we claim that as, you know, oh, it's the same steps. No, it's not. It's not the same steps. It's, it's world changing. Because I haven't had a drug problem in 28 years. I have an addiction problem that is still very relevant in my life. There's no problem with drugs for me anymore, unless I use. Um, but I got addiction problems up and down the yin-yang that I need to continue to work steps over. Just completed a 12th step. Mind-blowing. Like, what? When did this all come up? When did we start, uh, you know, that? how did this happen when I'm writing shit down? Go, oh my God, when did we all, I don't, I don't remember this. It's all new sometimes, which is great. That, that keeps us all involved. I need to, I'm writing on a, I'm writing on a 12th tradition right now. I spent the day writing on it. <sighs> but there's hope. That's the thing. If I come in here and make a valiant effort, and you don't have to do this right, nobody's doing it perfectly. All you have to do is, there's only one way to not work the steps, not. There's no, there's no wrong way to do it. There is no wrong way to do this. Just make an effort. If you're listening and you, this all seems too much or too, it, just do it. It doesn't, however, however y'all have agreed to do it, do it. Whether it's a page, whether it's a book, whether it's talking to them, I don't care how y'all do it, just do it. Thanks. Thanks for his comments, Paul. What's up, Eric? Hey, uh, I would say that the first time I did the steps, I did them wrong. I did them dishonestly. So maybe that could be the wrong way to do it. Um, my first sponsor pointed out to me the difference between uh, our fellowship and the others. And that is that my addiction centers in my mind, not in a particular substance. And that was really mind opening for me as far as the obsessive compulsion uh, questioning that goes, you know, before I had any freedom, I didn't know what that was, you know, so like by contrast, it becomes clear to see that that's what's going on once I've had some freedom from it, and then I can recognize when I'm in it. But before having freedom, I just thought I had a drug problem, you know. And it's really funny because when I was uh, eight years old, I was diagnosed with an obsessive compulsive disorder by a doctor, you know, and I still didn't uh, didn't get it, you know. So I'm not going to say much about the food, money, and sex, except that um, it's more insidious. And like, you know, it's easier to see once the drugs stop, man. But this is a whole other animal because I'm not necessarily trying to practice abstinence in those areas. You know, I'm looking for a healthy expression. And so... Uh, becomes a little bit more difficult for him, for me. So I'm here to listen and learn. That's it for me. Thanks. Thanks for his comments, bro. What's up, Andrew? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had uh, so much idea with what, with what everybody shared. And, and one thing that stood out to me, the aspects of our disease are numerous. By practicing this program, we each discover the ways in which our addiction affects us personally, right? That when I come in here and I do the work, 
I experience this disease in really profound fucking strange sometimes ways that I never thought that I would have, right? Like if you had told me when I first got clean, like you may have an abnormal relationship with food in some 15 odd years, young man, like I would have been like, mm, no, get the fuck out of here. Right. Um, but the longer, the longer I do this, the more I experience my powerlessness. And I see, like you guys said, like it's, it's, putting down dope is the first step. And then there's literally everything else, you know, um, we need to understand and acknowledge their presence, talking about obsession and compulsion. We need to understand and acknowledge their presence in our lives. If our admission of powerlessness is to be complete. Um, I think sometimes I struggle with that today's, you know, like in the other areas that we talk about, about sometimes I just want to put my fucking head in the sand and I don't want to acknowledge my obsession and I don't want to acknowledge my compulsion. Um, and by doing that, it's like I fundamentally resist this process, you know, like I'm like, fuck that. I got it, you know, um, and, and it goes on. It's in our experience, compulsion is the irrational impulse to continue using drugs, no matter what happens as a result, it's those fucking consequences, man. It's the consequences that really get me, right? And when I finally pop up, you know, like now when I surface for like recovery air and I have to deal with that stuff today, you know, I have to deal when I fall into the self-centered aspects of this disease. Um, you know, I just can't stop. <laughs> like that shit is powerful, man. It's incredibly humbling to, uh, to be experiencing that. So yeah, that's all I got. Thanks for those comments, Andrew. Lee, can you read the next two, please? Uh, yeah, thanks, Doug. <clears throat> Denial is the part of our disease that makes it difficult, if not impossible, for us to acknowledge reality. In our addiction, denial protected us from seeing the reality of what our lives had become. We often told ourselves that, given the right set of circumstances, we might still be able to bring our lives under control. Always skillfully at defending our actions, we refuse to accept responsibility for the damage done by our addiction. We believe that if we tried long and hard enough, substituted one drug for another, switched friends, or changed our living arrangements or occupations, our lives would improve. These rationalizations repeatedly failed us, yet we continued to cling to them. We denied that we had a problem with drugs, regardless of all evidence to the contrary. We lied to ourselves, believing that we could use again successfully. We justified our actions despite the wreckage around us resulting from our addiction. <clears throat> Excuse me. The spiritual part of our disease, the part we may recognize only by a feeling of emptiness or loneliness when we first get clean, is perhaps one of the most difficult aspects of addiction for us. Because this part of our disease affects us so profoundly and so personally, we may be overwhelmed when we think about applying a program of recovery to it. However, we need to keep in mind that recovery doesn't happen overnight for anyone. And man, does that all resonate. Um, Without the denial, I don't, I don't know if I would have made it. Um, you know, I've heard you guys talk about the different things you tried and thinking if I switched to this drug or that drug, I, I was committed to, that was the only thing I was ever committed to was the last drug that I used for about seven years. Um, and I was very skillful at defending my actions. I refused to accept responsibility for the damage 
Um, and the denial is the only thing that kept me going. I could somehow rationalize to myself <clears throat> that I wasn't, I wasn't hurting you or anybody else or, or society at large. And it was delusional. I was, I was not, <laughs> I was not in my right mind. Um, at any point in that period, I was not in my right mind. I would say things like, because I stay awake for seven or eight days in a row, I live uh, longer than a normal man because normal men had to sleep. You know, they had to go to sleep at night. I'd be up for a fucking week. No sleep. Yeah, that's right, Paul. Yeah, uh, I'm talking about real insanity, real rationalizations. And, and then I don't want to jump to step two, but by the time I got to step two, I was like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. It was such a switch, you know, from being that far gone to just a little bit of recovery, a taste of it, to, to switch over to, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Um, in that second paragraph, it talked about the emptiness and loneliness. And, and that was a part of, of my surrender in step one to the program of Narcotics Anonymous. It was, it was a gift of, of emptiness that was combined with a desperation. I often say, I wish I could give it to people who are struggling in addiction because that, that is, that is what, what was so profound, brought me to my knees. Someone said it earlier, I wasn't good at using drugs, whoever said that, kudos. Um, and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't go any further. So yeah, thanks. Really, thanks for those comments, bro. I intimately, man, my spirit really responds to that piece. That's exactly what, what allowed me to be as desperate as I was getting clean was that fucking emptiness, man. And that loneliness and dude, that's what like, it, it feels like it's the first time I'm reading this man and putting the pieces together because like, even, even today, like, like when, when character defects kind of take the fucking driving seat in my life today, I understand obsession. I understand compulsion. And, and my, my perspective on the spiritual part is, Hey, am I doing this? And is it, is it putting like some static in my communication with the HP? That's not what this, if I unpack this, it says this spiritual part's tied up with I feel empty and I feel alone. That's the spiritual part of the hit. That's fucking wild, man. I, it feels like it's like the first time I'm rocking with that, you know, in, in, in um, the spiritual hit, man, is that emptiness and the loneliness piece. Fucking cool, man. All right, Jen, what's happening? Thanks, Douglas. And thanks for sharing, Lee. I am. Um... You know, I had to feel the same way as Douglas does. Like, I feel like I'm reading this like all over again. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for our literature. I, I This sentence, when it talks about, we believe that if we try long and hard enough, substitute one drug for another, uh, did that over and over and over again, same same consequences over and over and over again, substituted one drug for another, switched friends, did that, got rid of the ones that didn't get loaded, got new ones. Those ones I burned out, I moved and got new friends or I got a new him you know, uh, change my living arrangement. So, you know, I was 17 when I got here and I had already done all of these things several times to try to control my using. And the denial for me was always, I'm 17, I have a long life to live. I have this list of things that I'm gonna do. 
that I want to do, right? Um, you know, the party's not over. Like the party was over for me very soon after it began. And um, and I and it took me, you know, took me five years to, you know, basically I, I had a really low start and I just kept digging a hole. But that piece for me, that desperation that came from those situations in my life, when I finally got clean for, you know, just a minute, you know, sitting in treatment, you know, detoxing, trying to figure out the fuck did I get here? You know, the denial was so heavy for me that it hit me like a ton of bricks, man. And so we go down and Douglas was talking about that feeling of emptiness or loneliness when we first get clean, like everything that I knew, the hustle, the behavior, the lifestyle, the, the hymns were gone. You know, my, my parents were done with me. I didn't have anywhere to live. Like all those things that I had changed and went away, man, this is, this is, you know, the opposite, you know, Paul talks about all the time, the opposite of addiction is connection. I had no connection to another human being, to a higher power. I had nothing. And the only thing where I found that was in a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. It's the only place I found that. And it was the only reason I kept coming back because there were people there that I could connect with, even though I didn't even want to be there, you know, but that feeling of, of belonging somewhere, they told me I belonged was enough for me to sit around despite my behavior, despite how I felt, despite wanting to crawl out of my skin in every single moment of the day. That is why we say connect with the fellowship. That's why we say go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to, you know, a ton of meetings, or, you know, I didn't have anything else to do. I had nothing, you know, I had nothing else to do, but go to meetings and hang out with addicts that were clean. And, um, and that's what I did. Um, and man, that feeling, it literally gives me goosebumps when I feel like nothing else to offer. I had nothing, no connection. And I've had that for 30 years in Narcotics Anonymous. I've been able to continue that and do the work and be on this podcast with you guys. I'm just so really great. I'm so grateful right now. So that I will pass. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Jennifer. What's up, Barb? Hey, Doug. Um, I'm going to, on six, I like the aspects of our, our disease are numerous, you know, and I, and it never fails to amaze me every day how my disease manifests in my life in some shape, way, or form. Some, it's like the Tasmanian devil spinning around and morphing into something else, you know, and it just blows me away. When you said about the obsessive and compulsive, my sponsor says today, I'm obsessed. I find shit to match it. And I do, I do, but I just find healthier shit today you know, than I, than I used to, you know, computer software or something. And, um, and the denial, I don't know that, um, mine was not being in reality. I would, I would have told you I was a big, bad addict, but I didn't understand what that entailed until I got in here, you know, and stayed a while. And my recovery was slow those first few years, you know, it was more, I wasn't in reality. I can remember my first sponsor telling me, Barb, that's not reality. Barb, that's not reality, you know? And then I like this, we refuse to accept responsibility for the damage done by our addiction. I remember saying, I'm not hurting nobody but me. I'm a free spirit. I'm not hurting nobody. And boy, I hurt everybody. Everybody that I roared through their lives, you know, I hurt. And the spiritual part of the disease, that was, that was, really major for me. And that too was very slow to fill that hole in my soul, to fill that void. Because um, I did what you guys told me, you know, you said, pray in the morning, pray at night. I did it. But before I got that, really got that connection, it was a long process, you know, 
And I, I always say my first four step, it was just about, um, I didn't get poofed. It was no magical moment, but it was about another woman, a woman um, loving me and accepting me and me taking her hand and stepping back into society, you know, because I came from the street. So, you know, it was, it was, um, Jen always talks about it at 17, um, not being able to write a check and stuff. Try being 39 and coming into the rooms and not having a bank account, not knowing how to write a check. You know, it's, it's pretty humbling, you know, so I'm grateful to be here. It's good to be back. I love you guys. I mean, I, I love how Barb, you and Jen, you know, made those comments like back to back, because I'm going to tell you this, you two are the most consistent women that I've, that, that I have in my life. Like, it's just really cool, man, to see, like, when you talk about, and I love anytime you reference Street Barb, I really do. I just had to tell you, going from way back, like, bring Street Barb up as much as you can, please, you know, <laughs> please do that. But that's the fucking the change, man. It's just, it. It's just, it's, it's very inspiring. It, it, it gives a lot of hope, you know, it really does, man. It, it gives a lot of hope. What's up, Paul? So this literature is supposed to bring in spiritual principles and I can see, you know, it just kind of occurred to me today why honesty is so associated with the, with the first step is because of the denial. That's, that's the counteraction to the, the denial is the honesty that's required in the first step. And the first sentence, denial is the part of our disease that makes it difficult, if not impossible, for us to acknowledge reality. And that, that's not in the past tense. <laughs> it doesn't say denial when we were using is the part of our disease that makes it difficult, if not impossible, for us to acknowledge the reality. It's in the present, in the moment. And and it's not just it's not just the denial of what we have done out there. It's the denial that we bring with us into narcotics and on. I don't think I can do 90 meetings in 90 days. I go to work every day. I uh, oh, I don't I can't get those. No, I can't call that person. I can't ask that person to sponsor me. I don't I'm not. There's denial everywhere. I'm denying everything when I arrive here. I'm not saying yes to anything. So when you hear somebody ask for help, that's why we respond so well to it because we know that that's that little micro breakthrough. They didn't listen to the thought. They didn't give in to the disease. They broke through that denial and, and did everything in their being to get through that. And if we can just honor that and not dismiss it as people who've been here for a while, that's what our calling is. That's why they're the most important because they're doing the big deal. It's not hard to walk into a meeting if you've been doing it for 28 fucking years and ask somebody to do something. When you've been in there 28 minutes, it's a big fucking deal. That's why they're the most important person. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Paul. All right, folks, thanks for giving us this hour of your time. If you could, your action item this week, uh, find somebody who could benefit from this resource, provide it to them, reach out to us, the podcast number in the Facebook, connect with the squad. I love you, folks. Hey, thank you for spending some time with us and walking on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. 
share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so and reach out to us. There's a podcast number, there's a Facebook page, um, and you probably um, have contacted one of the squad already. Continue to do so. Pour into us, allow us to be filled up, and that way we can continue to pour into you. I love you, folks.